The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Uh, good morning, guys. If this is your first time here, my name is Shane. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at LCC Northlakes. And this morning, we are continuing our series in the book of Daniel. Uh, if you are new or you've only come for a few weeks, we've been going through this book for 10 weeks now. Uh, and next week is actually our last week in the book of Daniel. And so we're going to look at chapters, uh, chapter 10 this morning. And then next week, we're going to finish it off with chapters 11 and 12. And just to give you a bit of an idea, 10, 11 and 12 are actually one unit. They're kind of the last vision that Daniel gets from God. And 10 and 12 are kind of these uh, bookends to this vision where the majority of the content is going to be in chapter 11, which we're going to look at next week. But chapter 10, it kind of sets up how Daniel gets this vision. Like what is happening when this angel comes and gives him the vision. And then next week, we're going to look at those things. But before we get into it, I'd love if you would pray with me. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is living and active. Thank you that as we open it, that you promise to speak to us through it. And so God, I just pray by your Holy Spirit that you would speak through me this morning. That you would open our eyes to see in our hearts, to know what you have for us, that we might be changed from the inside, that we might become more like your son, Jesus. And it's in his wonderful and his mighty name that we pray. Amen. Amen. And so what I want us to see as we look at chapter 10 today is really just two things. Like there there is a lot going on here as this angel appears to Daniel, gives him this vision. He just hits the deck a few times. He's strengthened again. But these two things that I think we are going to see as we work our way through this is one, the power of persistent prayer. The power of persistent prayers. God's people pray the power that comes with that. And the second thing we're going to see is the unseen battle. We're going to get a, a vision, like a, a peering through the veil of this unseen battle that is going on. But first, let's look at the power of persistent prayer. We're going to read again. It says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict, which we're going to look at soon. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacy, no meat, wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. And so here we get this picture of Daniel. He's actually outside of Babylon. He is withdrawn to be with the Lord, to pray and to fast and to mourn. And the question is, okay, well, why, why is he mourning right now? Well, if we understand kind of the timeline, it would have been two years since King Cyrus had made the decree for God's people to actually return back to Jerusalem. They were actually allowed to go back and start rebuilding this temple, which is good news, right? Except the majority of the Israelites chose to stay in Babylon. The majority of God's people thought, nah, we're comfortable where we are here. I don't want to go back to the old religious lifestyle I had. They become so comfortable in this new way of living where they're able to do whatever they want. They didn't want to go back to the lifestyle that God had put in place with them with their God-centered rhythms and routines, the one that God had called them out of Egypt into. And so this is why Daniel is mourning. He is weeping and he's praying for his people. He's seeking the Lord for wisdom and understanding as to what to do and what is next for his people. In fact, those that did choose to go back, as Kylum spoke about last week, actually faced conflict. As they begin to start trying to rebuild the temple, there was conflict they faced. So whilst exile was technically over for God's people, the struggles and the hardships weren't. 
And so Daniel, being a man of discipline and of prayer, he goes to the Lord and he seeks God's wisdom and guidance and understanding and he fasts and he mourns for his people. And I think this is actually a a good encouragement for us to not neglect the gathering of the saints, to not neglect gathering continually in godly community. Because for Israel, the longer they spent away from what was their home back in uh, Jerusalem, with God-centered rhythms and routines, the further the gap grew between their kind of desire to be a part of that. And I see throughout our church the same thing over and over again. As people do not prioritize the gathering of God's people, prioritize being a part of the body of Christ, the community around us. Slowly, the sun's out, the beach is calling, maybe the kids are crying, it's too hard, it's too cold. And over time, they just come less and less and less and less until one day they just don't see the need at all for church because they've got Jesus, right? As if you could divorce Jesus from his church. As if you can divorce the head from the body, like you can't, right? And yet, sadly, I see this so often. When I talk to Christian friends who used to come to church, they don't come anymore. The, the, the pivotal moment, the marking point was always when they decided to not prioritize the gathering of God's people. And so whilst don't, don't hear me, you're not saved by coming in this room. You're not saved by walking through this door. We're saved by what Christ has done for us on the cross. It is nothing that we can do. God has designed us to be in community. He has saved us into a family to be a part of the body. And so we need each other day in, day out to encourage each other in good works, to encourage each other, to to sharpen each other, to edify each other, to build each other up. And so Daniel, he, he sees that this isn't happening, and so he's mourning. He's mourning that, that his people have decided not to go back. The joys that... So for Daniel, he's, he's an old man by now. I'm not going to offend anyone. So he's like late 80s probably at this point. Yes, exactly. I know, old as. And so for him, like the trek back might kill him. And so he, he decides to stay, and he, he sees that God's actually using him there. But for the majority of them, they're just comfortable. And so we read that Daniel is mourning, he's praying, he's fasting, and gets this vision, this vision, and I want to read it again of this being. He says, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, which is like diamonds just shining in the sun. His face was like the appearance of lightning, and his eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And so who, who is this being that Daniel sees? Well, there is some disagreement around it, but I, I, I want to say this is Jesus. He is seeing the glorified, pre-incarnate Christ. And I think as we look at John's vision of the glorified Jesus in Revelation, we're going to just see so much similarity here. And so let's, let's read what John sees. And we read in Revelations 1.13. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. His hair was hair in his head like white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace, and his voice was like was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he had seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And so Daniel, as he's praying, as he's fasting, he gets this vision of Jesus. And then what happens? He hits the deck. He just absolutely 
hits the deck. And it says he falls into a deep sleep. And that, that's what happens over and over again in the Bible is people meet the glory of God. They hit the ground on their face. They can't stand in the presence of God's glory. We read a similar, the reason I think this is Jesus, we read a similar story of Paul in the New Testament. We read here that Daniel, the people that Daniel with didn't see the vision either. And it was like Paul in Acts. We read that when he sees Jesus, his friends do not see him either. And he hits the deck. And to Daniel, staring into the face of glory, falls down, trembling, terrified. And then an angel comes to him, reaches down and touches him. And then we get this really cool picture of the effect and the power of prayer. It says this in verse 10. And behold, a hand touched me and sent me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved. And I love that again. We heard that for the first time last week. As well as Daniel was praying, Gabriel rocks up and goes, Hey, Daniel, like you're loved. Again, the first thing this angel says to him is, Daniel, you're loved. You don't need to be afraid. Then he goes on to say, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. And came to make you understand what has happened to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for the days to come. And so we get this vision, uh, this, this picture of Daniel. This angel touches him, raises him up and says, Hey, from the first moment you began to pray, God sent me. From the first moment you began to pray, God heard your prayers and I came. And what's interesting is Daniel was praying for three weeks before this angel got there. So, like, what, what was going on for three weeks, right? Is, is heaven just three weeks away? Well, we don't think so. I haven't been there myself, but, but I don't think so. Because what we hear is the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And so we're going to look at who this guy is. But 21 days is, what, three weeks? Right, so for three weeks, Daniel was praying and praying. And this angel was sent from the first day but was being withstood for 21 days. But then Michael rocks up, helps him out, and so then he's able to go and deliver this message to Daniel. And it's just, just this cool picture of what is going on behind the scenes. And we're going to look at that in a second. But the question I think we need to ask is, what would have happened if Daniel stopped praying after a week? What if Daniel stopped praying after two weeks? What if Daniel stopped praying after two weeks and six days? Because it doesn't say that Daniel just set out to pray for three weeks. He was praying for three weeks when the angel finally got to him. We don't know how long Daniel was going to continue to pray and to fast. But what we do know is there is no reason for Daniel to be praying and fasting right now. In fact, this would have been during the time of the Passover. So he should have been feasting and rejoicing and celebrating with God's people. And yet he set his heart to pray and to fast for those around him to pray and to fast until he got an answer from the Lord. And then it came. I wonder what it would be like if we prayed like this. If we set our hearts to continue to pray and pray and pray, persistently pray until God answered us. Like my prayer is that we would have such an anguish in our heart for those who don't know Jesus. 
that we won't be comfortable going to work and seeing those around us that don't yet know Jesus. That we won't be right walking through our neighborhood and knowing that there are people around us who haven't heard the good news of the gospel. And so we are set on our knees to pray and to fast until God moves in power. And the cool thing we read is God acts. When God's people pray, God moves. And so I want to encourage us, let's continue to pray, persistently pray that God would move. But over and over again, I, I speak to people about situations and, and they'll be like, yeah, I prayed for this and God didn't answer me. My question was like, well, how long did you pray for and why did you stop praying? Like, why did you stop praying? If God hasn't answered you, why did you stop praying? And I think this passage gives us a glimpse into a few reasons why God hasn't answered our prayers yet. But what it does show us as well is that God hears when his people pray. Like there are wars and battles going on and one of God's children bends his knees to pray and God listens and sends an angel to first and foremost remind him, hey, you are loved. Don't fear. And then he gives him this vision. He answers this prayer. We're going to look at next week. But church, what would it look like if we persistently prayed for those around us that don't know Jesus? If we persistently prayed for our marriages? if we continually prayed for our kids, if we persistently prayed for one another in this church, if we continually sought the Lord for that healing, that breakthrough in our lives that we need. See, my wife and I, we, we struggled to have a child for a while. A few years we spent just praying and pleading to the Lord that he would give us a child. And then we faced miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage. And it's devastating. And we continued to pray. And we got some terrible advice along the way. Like some really bad advice. Some good advice, but some really bad advice. And some advice I got from actually a a pastor, he said this to me. He said, Shane, you shouldn't waste your time praying for things that aren't promised. You shouldn't waste your time praying for things that aren't promised. And I was like, thanks. That's that's super helpful. And and I kind of understood what he was saying. Like God's will is going to come about, right? But I think there is actually two ways that we need to look at this when we are persistently praying for things. I think as Christians, we're called to persistently pray and confidently hope in the things that are promised. We are persistently pray and confidently hope that God will provide. We are to persistently pray and confidently hope that our salvation is secure in Christ. But I think we're also called to persistently pray and faithfully trust in all things that are possible. We're called to persistently pray and faithfully trust that God is sovereign. And that for him, all things are possible. And so whilst I know God is sovereign above all, that he is high and his ways are higher and he is more wise and he sees all, it did not stop me from continually praying each and every day that God would give us Addy. And he did. And he did. And so as Christians, we need to come and we need to persistently pray and confidently hope in what God has promised us. Like we can place our hope in that. Because he's going to do what he says he's going to do. But I think it's okay for us to persistently pray and faithfully trust in all things that are possible. Why? Because we have a God that cares. Like we have a God that cares. He cares about our desires. It doesn't mean he's going to give them to you. Because if God gave you all your desires, that would not be loving. And trust me, you don't want all your desires right now. Like you just don't. It wouldn't be good for you. But he does want us to continually come to him. Continually come to him. And as we pray, as we surrender our lives and trust that he is all good and all sovereign, 
then our desires start to be transformed into his. Start to be aligned with his will. And so church, if there is something that you are praying for, or someone you are praying for, I want to encourage you, continue to pray. Continue to seek the Lord. Ask him, plead to him to move in power. Confidently hope in all that's promised. And then faithfully trust in all things that are possible. Because he is a God that loves. And he is a God that is close. And he is the God of gods, the Lord of lords above all. And he is powerful beyond measure. He moves nations, as we've seen throughout this book of Daniel. He, he raises up kings and pulls down kings. But he's also the God that comes when one of his children are crying out. Just say, hey, don't fear. I've got this. I've got this. But then I want to look at this kind of unseen battle. We get this, this little picture of what is going on. Like, who are these princes that withstood him? And I want, I want to read it again. Verse 13 says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left here with the kings of Persia. And then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the princes of Greece will come. But I tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contend by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Okay, so what's going on here? Right, like, who are these princes? Like, we've seen kings and kingdoms. You know, we've talked about the kingdoms of Persia and the kingdoms of Greece, but we've never seen princes, uh, nor princes who are fighting with angels, right? So, so who, who are these princes? Well, the, these are not earthly princes. They're actually spiritual princes. What we're getting here is a picture of the, the heavenly battle that is going on. We're, we're peering into the spiritual realm and seeing that there is these evil demonic spirits over the kingdoms of Persia and of Greece. And so what happens is Daniel prays and so God sends one of his angels to give Daniel a vision. But then the prince of Persia comes and starts fighting against this angel. And they're battling it out for 21 days as Daniel is praying until Michael rocks up. This, this guy's cool. Michael rocks up and just bam, you're done. And so then this guy, this angel is able to go to Daniel. Like there's just this, this weird picture we're getting of, of this battle going on in the spiritual realm against these princes, these, these evil demonic spirits over these regions. And then it says that Michael, Michael, your prince. And so most commentators will say, well, this, this is actually means that Michael is the prince over Israel. And so, well, like this sounds a bit confusing, right? It sounds a little weird. Like there's, there's princes over different regions. And so some people have taken these verses and come up with some wacky ideas, right? Some, some have taken these verses and said, so every region and nation in the world has a spiritual authority over it, some good and some bad. And that's why we see the gospel is actually harder to, to reach into certain areas. Is that true? Well, I don't know. What I do know is we don't have enough here to create a doctrine out of it, right? So we're not going to. But what we do see is that there are real spiritual forces that are fighting against God and his kingdom. And that when we pray, we are partaking in a spiritual battle. When we seek the Lord in prayer, when we open his word and proclaim the truths, that there is a spiritual battle going on. And again, for some of us, like this sounds weird, princes, evil, demonic spirits. 
We get to Ephesians 2 in the New Testament. Like that's, that's, we're pretty safe there, right? And Paul goes, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So Paul knew that there is a prince of the power of the air. This is the enemy that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Church, we are in a real spiritual battle, whether you believe it or not. There is a spiritual battle going on all around us all the time, whether you believe it or not. And if you don't believe it, it just means you're either getting beat up or you're not a threat. You're not a threat. But there is a spiritual battle going on around us. And for Christians, the good news is the battle's won. The war is won because of Christ and his victory on the cross. And then his resurrection from the grave. But until he comes again, this battle is going to continually wage war all around us. As the enemy fights for the souls of those who don't yet know Jesus. And for us Christians, like there's no condemnation for those found in Christ. But I think one of the, the, the biggest battles for us is actually our peace and our contentment and our joy in knowing Jesus. Understanding what our reality is for those who are found in Christ. Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Like, that's our battle. It's not your annoying boss. It's not your neighbor. It's not that person sitting on the other side of the church. They're they're not who you're fighting against. It's not even those who don't believe what we believe. Our enemy is the devil and his little minions that are trying to take us out. And we, like, we know they can't. Like, if you're in here this morning, like, your victory is in Christ. Like, your eternity is secure in him. Like, sometimes when we think about Jesus, I think we often think about that picture of the white dude with long hair walking through the meadow carrying a lamb. Like, it's, it's okay, I got you. And whilst, like, like that is part of Jesus' nature. He's gentle, he's loving, he's lowly. He's also the guy who comes in the sky on a horse with a sword in his mouth and fire in his eyes and his face like lightning and just destroys everything, destroys all evil and enemies. Like no one can stand him. Every evil kingdom in the world gets taken out like that. Like that's Jesus. And he's already defeated the enemy, the power of Satan, the power of sin in our lives. That's the guy who's fighting on our side. As we look at this, we see not only is there a spiritual battle going on, but God is fighting for us. And our job is to continue just to pray and trust and pray and trust and remind ourselves of the good news of the gospel, that our our hearts, that our souls, that our lives are secure in him. And so spiritual warfare, it's not just for those wacky Christians who like to pray and throw their hands up. Like we're all a part of this. That's why Paul says we have to put on our armor and fight. And how do we fight? If we read Ephesians, we have to to pray. To pray that God would move in power. That God would remind our hearts of the truths, of who he is and what he has done. And I think for some of us, we we have seen this spiritual battle stuff, this enemy attacking us 
uh, done poorly in Christian circles. Like that we've seen the superstition side where everything is the enemy, everything is the devil, you kick your toe, you crash your car, you got fired at work, spiritual attack, right? But then for some of us, and I'll say a lot of the kind of the conservative side, we're more on the substition side where nothing is the enemy and everything has physical and natural causes. And so we walk around not even realizing that there's an enemy trying to take us out, trying to affect our mind through accusations at us hey, you're not good enough. God doesn't need you. You're not forgiven. That we forget we're actually in a spiritual battle. And we need to remember this. Don't need to connect to a Wi-Fi. We're in a spiritual battle. And we cannot forget this. And we are on the winning side and we cannot forget that. And so how do we we fight the enemy? The Bible says we fight it. We overcome the enemy by the power of the blood and the word of our testimony. And so what does this mean? The power of the blood and the word of our testimony. Well, if we go back to Ephesians 2 and we continue to read, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we were all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and minds. We were by children natures of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's you. That's me. And then what does it say? But God. But God. Being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. Made us alive what? Together. Part of a body. A family. Made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I love this. So that in the coming age, he might show the immeasurable riches of grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift. It is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one can boast. How do we fight back the enemy? We just point to Jesus. We go, bro, it's him. Like, here's my salvation. Here's my victory. It's him. We remind ourselves that we've been saved by grace. It is a gift. It is not of our own works. Yeah, we haven't done anything. But God, in his immeasurable riches, has lavished upon us grace upon grace upon grace. And that's our salvation. And it's by his blood that we have been saved. And that's how we fight back the enemy. And by our testimony, we continually preach this good news. We continually preach salvation by grace in Christ. Like that's our good news. That is our testimony. We were dead in our sins and we're made alive in Christ. We were dead and we're made alive in Christ. And we continually preach and proclaim that good news in the face of the enemy. ...of this reality. That we have been saved by grace. And so when the enemy comes and throws accusations at us, man, you're, you're actually pretty terrible. Yeah, I, I know, right? And God still loves me. Now you're actually kind of like worthless. God doesn't need you. Yeah, I, I know he doesn't need me, and yet he continually wants to use me. Like how weird is that? Well, you're, you're, pretty, you're pretty weak. Dude, you have no idea how weak I am. But what's cool is when I'm weak, he's strong, right? Actually, you, you deserve death. Dude, I know, except Jesus already died. And so it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
Like this is our reality as Christians. And we can go on and on and on and on. Yeah, you don't deserve forgiveness. I know. And yet every day I wake up and his mercies in you. And we are forgiven fully, freely and forever in Christ. Like that's your reality this morning. And so, yes, there is a spiritual battle going on around us and we need to realize that. And we need to participate in that. We put on the armor of God and we pray and we pray. We get on our knees every day. Persistently pray for those things around us. That God's kingdom would break in to our lives. That God's kingdom would break into our marriages. That God's kingdom would break into this church. That those around us would become more like Jesus. Trust more in his love for us. And then as the band come up, I just want to finish with this. Because what we see over and over again in this chapter is Daniel hits the deck and then God strengthens him by a touch, by a word, reminding him, hey, Daniel, you don't need to fear. Church, the quickest way that we can revive a weary heart is by communion with God, is by being in his presence, is by opening his word, hearing his words speak to us, reminding ourselves, hey, we are loved. God loves you. Like for some of us, we forget that. Like God loves you. Like God loves you. Like he, he does. He loves us. And we don't deserve it, and yet he still loves us. And so we have a God that can move mountains. A God that lifts up kings and kingdoms and pulls them down. A God that is sovereign above all things, that holds all things in his hands. And the story of Daniel is he cares about us. Even though he's the powerful God, he is the personal God who cares. As a church, I want to encourage us, even this week, let's continue to be people who persistently pray and confidently hope in the things that are promised and persistently pray and faithfully trust in all things that are possible as we walk out our lives as citizens of heaven. Because that's who we are. We're citizens of heaven. Even though we are still in Babylon, we are to live as citizens of heaven, understanding that this is our reality. And so I want to encourage us. If you're not a Christian here this morning, like some of this stuff sounds weird, spiritual battles going on. The point is, as we look around the world, there is, there is chaos everywhere. And our hope, the hope for the Christians in here this morning, is in a God who is above all things. And a God who is close to us and loves us. And because of what he has done on the cross, through his life, death, and resurrection, we have hope. We have hope in the face of our troubles and trials now and hope that one day he will come again as that man in the sky and wipe away every tear and make all things right. Let's pray. God, I thank you that when we pray, you you incline your ear towards us. That God, you are a powerful God, but you're not a distant God. You're not a God who just sits up there on his throne and leaves us to our own devices. You're a God who loves us. We thank you for that. You're a God who cares about us, and we thank you for that. And you're also a God who moves when we pray. And so I just ask, Holy Spirit, would you 
invigorate our hearts today to be a people that seek you all the days of our lives. Be a people who persistently pray and just be confident in a God who moves, a God who is able to do all things greater than we could ever expect to understand. And God, will we ultimately trust in your victory your victory on the cross and through the resurrection from the dead that has secured for us an eternity with you, eternal life now and forever. And that as Christians, we would know that reality and that reality would give us joy and peace and comfort as we walk at our days here on earth. God, you are good God. Just pray for those in the room who maybe think they aren't worthy of your love. Would you remind them just how much you love them? Maybe those in the room who feel they've done too much, would you just remind them of how deep and how far and how wide your grace is that covers their sin? And God, would we leave this place trusting in you all the more? not only for the things that we get from you, but in you, in your goodness, in your grace, in who we are as children and brothers and sisters of God. And it's your mighty and your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.